One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that extracts biography from our guests with the help of just three songs that will always transport them back to their lives and to their memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Randall Kenneth Jones, author, podcaster, actor, and public speaker, and more. Randall Kenneth Jones has built a marketing and public relations portfolio that includes respected household names from the IT, healthcare, entertainment, publishing, retail, and consumer products and services industry. He believes every person in every business has a story to tell and an audience they need to hear that story. He helps individuals and businesses develop their most compelling stories for the online or traditional media best suited to deliver their message, including doing marketing and communications work for the Immokalee Foundation. Over the years, he has interviewed more than 100 people of note, both for the Naples Daily News and for his podcast, Jones.Show, which he produces with Susan C. Bennett, the original voice of Siri, including people like Aaron Brockovich, Pat Benatar, Brian Boitano, Rita Rudner, Shirley Jones, Vanessa Williams, and many more. His book, Show Me, Celebrities, Business Tycoons, Rockstars, Journalists, Humanitarians, Attack Bunnies, and more, exclamation mark, was published in late 2016, and this fall his first fiction book, Ruby, will be published by Mark Victor Hansen of Chicken Soup for the Soul fame. We met him through his work for the Immokalee Foundation. Let's listen to his three song stories. Hey there, Randy. Hey, <laughs> <Mike>. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I, there's so many rules on this show. I'm just afraid that I'm going to like do something wrong. The, our, our rules are fairly malleable. <laughs> They're malleable, not malicious. They're malleable. Okay. I'm, but I'm a rule follower. I'm a Virgo. So I'm really okay. all about my rules and my lists. So. Okay. My first question, I was digging through your bio, and I have to start with, you played the monster in Young Frankenstein. I did. What was that like? Oh, just... Where was the uh, where was the theater? Uh, the Sugden Theater, the Naples Players oh, in Naples. Okay. And just doing Mel Brooks, just incredible. You know the whole. And you're a fairly large guy. I'm, they have I'm you on some like small. platform shoes. They did. They had me on like six inch platform shoes. The costume was amazing, and the head was elongated as well. And so I'm six two. So I think when all was said and done, I was like six eight or six nine. With all of the extra, the extra size from below of the shoes and the extra height that I got, it was just ridiculously fun because I don't like memorizing lines. Right, and you didn't have to memorize lines; I just grunted a lot. Did you have variations on your grunts? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Were they tied to particular? Like, did you have a calculus of grunts in your head so you did, or, or was it just totally improv? Like no, each no, grunt they were, was... no, they were lines. I mean, it was it was a they were. More or less, like you want to be consistent in any sort of play, yeah. whatever grunt I did or groan had to be consistent within the emotional need of the scene. <laughs> wow, that's heavy when I'm talking about grunting. That's See, a heavy comment that, to make. That yeah. is awesome. Okay, well, we'll get a little more into theater maybe later. But um, So where did you grow up, and how would you characterize the musical background of your childhood? Like what was – happening around you? What were your parents listening to, et cetera? My parents didn't listen. Nothing? No. Wow. Okay. We, it was talk radio. We were uh, at Columbia, Missouri. Oh, wow. Talk radio house. Uh, this comes up a lot where I just didn't listen to music. Now, we did, and we also only had AM radio. 
So because I'm 60 this year. So we had AM radio and that was pretty much more or less talk. And there was music as well. But yeah, I grew up in Missouri, a college town. So I had that those influences from being part of a college town. It just made it kind of magic, really. It was kind of Mayberry. Yeah. It really was. I mean, you get the simplicity of of the good, hardworking people who worked there and lived there and worked in the communities around Columbia. And then you got the infusion of, of – Scholars, basically, right, right. and students, and it's it's probably I think one of the best places you could ever raise a child. Hmm. I was born in Warrensburg. <laughs> were you really? Yeah. So you were really Mayberry. Well, I, I didn't. Big, I didn't. I was a very big. I town didn't live there. We my family's from Kansas City, but my parents were going to Central Missouri State or whatever it is yeah. that's there. So yeah. that's where I was born. But I lived in Kansas City until I was eight, and then we moved to Fort Myers. So, but I've got Ooh. some Kansas City roots, some Missouri roots. You got some roots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can become. I can, as my husband says just add water, instant hillbilly. You put me around somebody from with the accent and I can get going. I have no problem. So if your parents weren't listening to music, what was the first music that you really started to find yourself? I remember it really specifically. Yeah? Delta Dawn by Helen Reddy. Hmm. It was on a station, an AM station that did play it. Now, we, you know, we had those wonderful cassette recorders mm-hmm. and we were all obsessed because I was doing fake radio and I was mm-hmm. a radio announcer and stuff. And my way of getting that song was to wait for hours until Delta Dawn by Helen Reddy would play and I would record it to my cassette. So that was my version of having the song. Probably at some point in time, my parents did spring for the 45. Right. <laughs> but I think they were fascinating seeing my passion for it. I'm telling you. What was it about that song? I don't know. Uh, to this day, I'm obsessed with Helen Reddy. I, I love everything she recorded. I You know, but I love vocals. I love when you can understand the lyrics. I really – lyrics are big. Mm-hmm. I know lyricists. I get frustrated when the lyricist works that hard to provide a message and the performer does not deliver it right. in a way that the audience can right. understand. The only way you're going to hear it is if you read the liner notes, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what it was. It was me. I was just obsessed with her. Hmm. I just, you know, I've loved Helen Reddy my entire life. Hmm. Yeah. Did you ever play any instruments? I did. What'd you play? Okay. Well, guitar. Okay. Acoustic? Yeah, acoustic, not good. I thought I was good. I thought it was really good. Um, and then saxophone. Really? Yeah, yeah. Is that a school band thing? Yeah, it was a school band thing. I'm really grateful that I got a chance to play music and, and got a chance, got that introduction. I'm an arts kid, so if you get me started on the importance of arts and education, we could do the entire hour because I am a result of my arts education totally and completely. Cheers to that. Yeah, I'm totally that's, – that's how I became who I am today. I – Christy Kramer, thank you, Christy, for trying to teach me piano. I didn't stick with it, and I've kicked myself my entire life that I didn't stay with piano lessons. That's the one thing I wish I had done. If we had a saxophone magically brought into the room, would you be able to play a scale? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 I yeah. So. I'm hoping it doesn't happen because this could be really <laughs> – Jared, you, Jared, do you have your saxophone? I can run back home. I'll be, I'll be back in about an hour. <laughs> no, I actually – I think I could, yeah. Uh, are you a karaoke You know what? I'm a singer. And I'm not a karaoke and I'm a singer, but I just, I'm so type A 
and I love rehearsal. Mm. But yet I do improv. Yeah. So I do improv, which improv is improv. That's one skill set. That is listening. That's being in the moment. That's being in tune with the people on stage with you. And that's creating together. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to anything scripted, I love rehearsal. And the idea of getting up in front of a group of people unrehearsed and singing a song to an unknown backing track, that kind of just terrifies me. I've done it, I think, twice in my whole life. Hmm. And people are surprised that I yeah, yeah. it's an interesting combination of things. Um, uh, so you've done theater later in life. Did you th- do theater in high school? Was yeah, the whole time. Okay, Truly. so you, you, were, you were a theater band kid. I was, I was a theater. I, I, it's interesting because even band went away because I did everything. I tried to be involved in every arts thing I could be involved in. And eventually you do have to focus. Yeah. And even eventually choir even went away, band went away, and theater and actually speech because I'm still a real advocate for public speaking, and I actually still teach public speaking because I, I think you can always benefit. There is not a career that you're going to be in that you don't benefit with your ability to communicate more clearly. You just there's none. Yep. There's none. It's the special sauce. It is the special sauce. And, and that really goes to the written word as well because I, I was not a writer at all. Not at all, you know, growing up. But I became a writer. I really classify, classify myself primarily right now as a writer. I became that over the decades of working at it. Once again, the written word, communication, oral commis- communication, verbal communication, huge, 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 and does not get the attention it deserves. And it made me, and I see so many people who could be doing so much more with their life if their communication skills improved. And it breaks my heart. Hmm. Um, Well, it's about time for your first song, but I want to know, were you listening to music on the way here this morning? I was chatting on the phone. Okay. I was not. Hmm. How do you listen to music in the car? Oh, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, you put me on 70s or 80s on Sirius XM, and I'm good to okay, go. Okay, so you're a satellite yeah. radio guy. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm 70s or 80s, but actually, I was listening. Funny, I was listening. This is off of my own podcast. I was, I was. Rita Rudner, the comedian, has done my podcast twice. Is coming again next year, and I wanted Rita to lift me up before I got here. Wow. Oh, yeah. So I listened to Rita on the way up. So I would just kind of. Get that Rita Buzz going and feel good about stuff. So. I got a little little side buzz from the Rita Buzz. Yeah, <laughs> you get a little buzz. I'm sending the Rita Buzz. Oh, um, okay. So it is. Uh, I bet it's fun to talk to her. Um, let's get to your first song. This is the uh, Pat Benatar song. You want to tell a story? You want to, you know, listen to it? How would you like to proceed? Let's listen to a little bit of it. You want to listen to a little bit? So, of it? so because I'm supposed to go there, right? This is supposed to take me back. This is yes. If you tell us your story, then the listener will hear the song through your story. If you listen to the song, it will take you back and then you can come out of it and I'm tell gonna the listen story. To the, I'm going to listen to the song and I'm going to do 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 Alright, this is Randall Kenneth Jones' first song here on this episode of Three Song Stories. This is Hit Me With Your Best Shot by <laughs> Pat Benatar <laughs> off her 1980 album Crimes of Passion. I said I don't do karaoke, but yeah. you saw I lip sync. Yeah, well, I know. I was going <laughs> to, if you didn't go there, I was going to get there. <laughs> the year is 1982. We've already know that I'm from Missouri, from Columbia, Missouri. I'm a student at the University of Missouri. And my job at the time, I actually worked at a radio station. 
at, at an AOR, a rock station, which is odd considering I, didn't, I don't have the voice for that. But I also did singing telegrams. I dressed up as a bunny. I dressed up as a flasher. That's another story altogether. I dressed up as, as a chicken and took balloons and ran all over town and made money singing to people and giving them balloons and bringing them joy. I found Presumably. out. Or <laughs> <laughs> giving him a heart attack. <laughs> I found out Pat Benatar, my love, my obsession, was coming to do a concert. Now, this is pre-internet, you know, so – and I'm in the middle of the Midwest. Yeah. And I can't imagine a scenario under which I'm going to meet someone famous. I just can't even imagine it. And – I decide that I'm going to – my first – really, as, as an entrepreneur, I think my first big idea was I do singing telegrams. I'm going to send Pat Benatar a singing telegram. I'm going to deliver it. And it worked. You're going to send yourself. I sent myself. <laughs> The little white lie is that I did kind of create a fan club that didn't exist. So that was the little that it was <laughs> from that. I got it pre-approved. It was a lot of hurdles because I like everything pre-approved. Six dozen balloons. My friend Vicky is with me. We go. We're backstage. Saga is on stage playing, knocking at the door. Go backstage. The curtain comes back and there she is. Five feet of Benatar perfection. And it's happening. I'm meeting her. Now, any performer knows you either can dissolve in that situation. <laughs> you know, the performer in me kicked in. Right. I was dressed as Prince Charming with my purple brocade <laughs> and my 80s uh, stash and my 80s feathered hair. And uh, <laughs> I sang the song, but I sang a new version, a rewritten version of Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Can we hear it? Oh, at and least a bit of it. Are you a real tough cookie? And from what I've been told, you can turn any record into. Oh my! Oh no! We need to cut that. I don't have enough of a voice. I'm still getting that was over. enough of the flavor. We got a little bit of. You the can flavor. turn any record into solid gold. Well, here you are in good old Missouri, and you know we'll treat you right. So Pat, we're ready. So hurry. So <laughs> how is it received? She was amazing. Yeah, I was twenty. I put her on one knee because I was Prince Charming. She kept saying, oh, I'm going to hurt you. I was like, oh, Pat, you weigh three pounds. Shut up and sit down. You know, so I'm messing with her. She's messing with me back. I bounce her up and down. I made her sing along with me on the last chorus. But afterwards, they had taken my camera away. And I said, you know, Pat, if, if we don't get a photo, no one in the kingdom is going to believe Prince Charming was here. The kingdom. The kingdom. <laughs> the camera comes back. We get this glorious photo that I treasure to this day. And... I also said, will you, will you please sign a copy, my copy, about two copies of the telegram? Will you sign that? She says to me, so gracious, so kind, so perfect, so wonderful. I will sign yours if you sign mine. Mm. Class. Wow. Mm. And the fact that this woman, my hero, my musical hero, that I just was so gracious and so kind to me, she changed my life. She truly changed my life because I realized that maybe I could do something uh -huh. if I moved out of my zip code. Because uh -huh. moving out of my zip code was not something that most people did in Columbia, Missouri at the time. Could I do more? Could I achieve more? And it was all because of Pat Benatar. Truly, 33 years later, living in Naples, Florida, 
I'm writing columns for the Naples Daily News that became my first book, Show Me. I go backstage at Artist Naples to interview her. She told me, she goes, I told her who I was, and I I slid a copy of the telegram and the photo over to her. And she said, I don't just remember the telegram. I remember you. Hmm. We've been friends ever since. Hmm. She is my heart. She is one of the best people. Now, if she's listening right now, she's going to be shaking her head going, you're, you're doing too much. You're going too far. But, you know, she is so kind. She is so good. She is so giving. She is so generous. And she continues to be such a light in my life as a human being, regardless of anything having to do with her, her music, just her as a person. She's it's been life changing. She is so profoundly special to me, and it is our forty year anniversary this year. That wow. happened forty years ago this year. That is wild. When I say I love her, I love her. I do. Huh. I absolutely love Pat Benatar. And she, like you said, she turned on a light switch for you, oh. where you realized that you know, a in some cases at least, people famous like her are real people that are absolutely. that are uh, approachable and interact mm-hmm. with you know. Um, that's great. That's great. Where does she live? Does she live around She here is or? in L.A. You want me to give your, her street address? Because I'm sure she'd really let me know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll bleep that part. Just say it to me. <laughs> Pat, if you're listening, I'm not going to do that. Um, no, she lives in L.A. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I've seen her twice this year in concert. Go mm-hmm. backstage. It's just so special. So special. So unexpected. And I've met a lot of people. But she's been in my heart for over 40 years and will always be there. That song re- takes me back to uh, Gator Lanes in South Fort Myers <laughs> when I was probably 12 <laughs> with the jukebox. My folks were in a bowling league. Their team was called Damifino, just all <laughs> one word. <laughs> and, yeah. It was one word, Damifino? <laughs> yeah, all one word. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that song in that era definitely takes me right back to there. I can hear the pinball machines. I tell you, if you love Pat Benatar, she is worthy of your love on every conceivable level, not just her talent. And Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This year, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She, I literally texted her when I found out she'd made Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I said, you have always been in my heart, in my Hall of Fame. So how did you take that light switch being flipped and turn it into action? It's interesting because you kind of almost – I did leave. I went to the Washington, D.C. area. I did carve out a niche that was very different from what I expected in marketing and advertising as an actor, as a communicator. Um, I did – my family was an insurance family and my sisters worked for the insurance company that my father worked for. And I applaud them all because they they all stayed there and I'm so grateful now my sisters are there to help care for my father who still lives there. He's 91 this year and is doing great in large part to the two of them. I I was the black sheep. (laughs) I went away. I did my own thing. But – and Pat knows I say this. I think it took until I came here for me to actually see the thread, pull the Pat thread and realize once I came to Naples, Florida, all these successful people that were here, I wanted to learn from them. And so I kind of did – started to do again 30 years later what had started with her – And I started a column for Naples Daily News. I started interviewing successful people, and I went from, like, C-suite to, like, Jungle Jack Hanna. Hmm. My friend Phil Buth was the the executive in charge of Good Morning America for 10 years. I interviewed him. Jack McKinney is currently being – 
Yeah, well, there, he's he's a character in that show on HBO about the Lakers, which the name escapes me. He's a character in it. Mm-hmm. He was Magic Johnson's first professional basketball oh. coach at the LA Lakers. I met him here and I wrote about him. So then it really just diversified. And I went from a column looking for the best in people, trying to learn from them to my first book, Show Me, that was a compilation of those. Then I missed it. It was a drug talking to these people and meeting these people. Then Jones.show, the podcast, and actually my first fiction book, Ruby, uh, is being published by Mark Victor Hansen from Chicken Soup for the Soul, which is when does pinch, it come out? It comes out in September, which is just pinch me, pinch me, pinch me, pinch me. That's but fiction. It's fiction, but it's fiction that is it, it, it's it's self help. It's live your best life described disguised as fiction. Gotcha. Yeah. But it's a sweet story that's, you know, Janet Ivanovich endorsed it. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Peggy Post from the Emily Post Institute has endorsed Ruby, the new book. If, if I'm lighting up, it's because I'm also pinching myself the entire time, too. I What Pat started, and she knows I give her credit for starting this, and it took me 30 years. I started again, and it has become the most glorious life of now approaching 60 and learning every day and changing every day and discovering more about me every day and helping other people do the same thing. And it just doesn't get any better than that. Hmm. It just, it's, it's, it's delightful. It's wonderful. How long were you in D.C. before you made it down to Florida? 25 years. Wow. What was that like? <laughs> you know, it was actually – it was northern Virginia. How was, was that for a broad question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was northern Virginia. No, I loved it. It was interesting because my kids were – went to excellent schools in Loudoun County, Virginia. Their field trips were, you know – my daughter came home one day and she said, yeah, we went and we saw the Monnets today. And I went, Monnets? Yeah, we saw the Monnets. I went, oh. the Monnets? <laughs> you know, and then that no one could get into. And she's taking it for granted. She goes down to the National Gallery of, Gallery of Art and sees the Monet exhibit. So their access to the Smithsonian and D.C. was extraordinary educationally. Um, it, it was just I, I'm I'm a small town guy who thrives in a big city, but ultimately is a small town mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And Naples really rang to me, or, or you know, <laughs> as. I can get access to all these successful, wonderful people. But when I came here, I didn't know what, that I was going to do all this right. with it because I'm just so energized by that kind of success and energy and ideas and thought. And and I don't think that what I did here would have happened in many other towns. Hmm. I really don't because I'm not sure people would have taken the time. Right. Yeah, lost in yeah. the shuffle in a bigger yeah. place like that. Yeah. Um, uh, have you seen many concerts in your life besides Pat Benatar? I, no, actually, no, no, really. I've seen Pat probably eight or nine or ten times. Uh, Sarah Evans is my cousin by marriage, so we share extended family. The country singer. I've seen her probably eight, nine, or ten times. Um, then I see Cheryl Crow <laughs> because Cheryl Crow and I sang together in a group in college. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So she, we sang like together Cheryl in a group Crow. in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've seen her. F- Four or five times, but I'm not necessarily a concert guy. But if I'm obsessed with you, the thing is I tell the people I interview, I said, I don't just interview, I adopt. 
So any of the people that I've crossed paths with that I respect, I'm going to do whatever I can at any point in time to promote their vision, to promote their platform, to promote their products, to promote anything. And I think my guests on my podcast know that. And they come back. And they, frankly, some pretty famous people say yes to me. And I'm, a, I'm you know, I say I'm a nobody and Peggy Post from Emily Post gets mad at me for saying that. But comparatively speaking, you know, I'm, I'm a pleasant guy who writes nice emails, who lives by a beach. And, you know, <laughs> you know and, and I play get, to your strengths. Yeah. And, and I just but but it's it. My strength is actually sincerity. I really do love it. And I really do love helping the people. So. Sincerity, uh, we need the world could use more of it. Oh, it, it's, I mean, uh, I mean that sincerely. The fact that Peggy Post from Emily Post Institute, the former executive director, is a very dear friend of mine. And though I've made so many mistakes in her presence, I mean, everything short of burping at the table, I have not done that. <laughs> um, she loves people and admires people for their hearts not for their actions. And I figured that out about her. Thank goodness, because I've almost spilled on her. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a nightmare sometimes. You know, you get really nervous when you're around an etiquette professional. Understood. Yeah, and I get nervous and I tend to have accidents. <laughs> um, okay, it's time for your second song, but I have a quick anecdote about Cheryl Crow, sort of. Um, I got a betta fish earlier this year, you know, the little betta fish that they, they you find them in the cups at the store and they're like, they got yeah. long fins. Yeah. Yeah. And I decided when I got back to my car, I was going to turn on one of the local radio stations and channel whatever song came on to name it. No. So my beta fish's name is Bill or Billy or Mac or Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bill or Billy or Mac. <laughs> oh, that I just, is. What was, it was literally that moment in the song. And I was like, okay. So when I walk by, sometimes I'm like, what's up, Billy? What's up, Mac? That's the best <laughs> pet name I've ever heard in my <laughs> all you All you want to do is have some Fun. Yep, exactly. Swim yeah, around and I still am obsessed with that song. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay, it's time for your <laughs> second song. Uh, this is the uh, beautiful, right? Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to tell a story, or would you like to listen to it? You know what? Let's 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 flip it up a little bit. I'm going to tell the story. So it's 2008, I believe, Loudoun County Public Schools. My daughter Mary Beth can sing her face off. Mm. Her mother, I'm a singer. Her mother is a glorious singer, uh, my ex-wife, her mother. And um, she just is just an incredible singer. So they had, you know, American Idol was big then, as it, but even bigger then than it is now. And this high school, Freedom High School, had Eagle Idol. Okay. And she was a contestant. And they start with 25 and then 25 audition and 10 get to the onstage show. And then so she's up there. And... She's part of the 10, and, and we're all there cheering her on. And the first song she sang was from the musical Spring Awakening, Mama Who Bore Me. Now, I don't mean to be mean to these children or any children, but high school singers, when they get nervous, normally don't stay on pitch. Yeah. It's kind of a pitch fest. You never know what yeah. key they're going to be in. Not my kid. Yeah. She is like right on pitch. So I said, you know what? Let's have you sing that a cappella. Mm. So the girl goes up there. She sings Mama Who Bore Me a cappella, nails it, and is perfectly on pitch. So she advances through the audience vote to the top five. She is up there singing. My daughter was slightly heavy and, uh, you know, in high school, as which she's not alone. She's certainly not alone. But she got up there, and I'm sitting there 
watching her sing and the track comes on and here is this confident, beautiful, big blue-eyed young lady singing Beautiful by Christina Aguilera because she was beautiful. And to see her confidence and to see her beauty and to know that everybody there saw, you know what? I'm not a size two, but I got it. What we heard, I kind of joke because I think the year before that, Catherine McPhee had, came in second. And I jokingly said, you know, Catherine McPhee, you think her, her father can cry at nothing like Randall Kenneth Jones. Man, I went nuts. She won the competition. And we were told later by like out of five kids, by like 70 or 80 percent of the total vote, she slayed. Hmm. But to have her – because, you know – how young women see themselves and how they view themselves and their strengths and their weaknesses. And, and it just breaks my heart to see what any young person doesn't feel or, or feels like they're not as good as some ideal they're seeing in a magazine or TV or, or whatever. And for her to go up there and slay that song and slay that judging and sing it so well and be so beautiful and know it, it was, it was one of the most proudest moments of my life. I can feel that. Yeah. And I have a performing arts daughter, so I can feel you that. You get it, yeah. Shall we listen to this? Oh, yeah. We got, oh, you have Kleenex? We have Kleenex. tissues for you. That's our third yeah. box since launching the show. Uh, <laughs> true story. Um, all right, this is song number two. This is Beautiful by Christina Aguilera off her album Stripped, released in 2002. It's Randall Kenneth Jones' second song here on Three Song Stories. <laughs> How does that make you feel listening to that? Oh, you know? I mean, <laughs> it takes me. I can see it. I mean, it just was such a highlight. I was just so proud on so many levels. Um, yeah, it was extraordinary. We, I, I, She missed Idol. I could never go get her to audition for The Real Idol. I have said to her for years, Mary Beth Jones, Daddy and you need to go on America's Got Talent. Because we sing together. Oh. And I'm better as her backup. Uh-huh. But they've never had the father-daughter act, so Mary Beth. Is she still a performer? I mean, she sings. She sings like in church choir and things like okay. that. I, I, As a parent, we always want our children to, to, to go for everything. And she has chosen that she doesn't want to pursue it more aggressively than that. And I respect that, but I'm never going to stop. You know, <laughs> you know, when you have that kind of gift, I'm going to want both of my children at any point in time to seize any opportunity to show people what they got and respect whatever decisions they make. But America's got talent. America's got talent. America's got talent. We um, should do it. If you guys sing, if you were on that show, what would be the song you would sing? Um, no Place That Far by Sarah Evans and Vince Gill. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that first very specific answer. Yeah. 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 That's one we've done before. In public, but no place that far. It's a wonderful duet that primarily primarily features the vocals of the female Sarah, and then and I was Vince Gill did the backup, and I did the backup. Um, do you sing much in public without her? You know what? Not so much right now. I've. It's interesting if I look at all my theater friends because of Facebook. I can from you know junior high, high school, college. We, you know people who even went to theater school with me. I'm one of the only ones still doing it. At all. And the only reason I haven't performed recently is because of the book, because of the podcast, because I'm a public speaker and a motivational speaker. And I take all of these stories 
And I go to groups and organizations, and I use storytelling from people I've met in order to motivate teams and talk to organizations. So, and that right now, that's that's my performance. My keynotes at an evening event, I do sing. Oh yeah, I do sing. Sing yeah. what? Always the same thing. Mm, Primary. Um, you know what? Actually, okay. So, and I haven't done it yet. I should say because of COVID, I haven't done it yet. I was looking at, as a music theater performer, what I had sung in my life. As a tenor, the problem is I can't do the impossible dream necessarily. I can. But the I'm still a tenor, but now I'm an old tenor. So what does an old Broadway tenor do? You have to look at the songs you sang at 25 and think, what do they mean today? And actually, when the next time that I get an opportunity to do this, I haven't yet – I'm going to – I looked at what I – the roles I had played and the songs I'd sung and I realized I had played Tony in West Side Story and something's coming from West Side Story applies to me Hmm. and what I do today. Hmm. And so I open with – I open with the Pat story, then something's coming and then I close with another song. Another song. Another song. Another song. We just leave it there? Yeah. We're going to leave it there. Because we might end up talking about that song. Understood. Yeah. Okay. There's a little, little, yeah. little glimpse into the future. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Perhaps. Foreshadowing. Um, when was the last time you were in a, a performance? Wow. Um, probably yeah. three years ago. Okay. Yeah. So not too long ago, though. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. And like I said, anytime I was on stage, you know, a couple weeks ago doing a leadership uh, seminar. And I loved it. I get to talk about all my people. Do you do improv actively still, or is that you just know a what? Part I of your don't. Life? But I actually use improv in the in the uh, when I do more of a class and less of a keynote. I use improv as part of it. I'm also I will say I'm also very blessed. If I look at the people that really influenced that part of my life, I met someone here who was speaking here, who is very well known, who we hit it off, and six or seven years later, she is still. You know, there's Peggy Post, there's Pat Benatar, but there's a third of all the extraordinary, but there's many, 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 but Aaron Brockovich is as dear to me as you can be. And I literally do nothing without asking her advice. And that's a crazy resource to have. Yeah. And every, she's been on my podcast four times. She was just on for the fourth time. And that level of support. And we, we never have a conversation that doesn't have meaning. We, there's no fluffy conversation with Aaron Brockovich. Mm. There's always, what is life? And yeah, we, that seems that, – that makes sense to me. <laughs> and she is another person worthy of all your admiration and respect. And she is – yeah, she's – no songs. I don't have. Well, actually, no. Actually, the only song "Every Day Is a Winding Road" is a Cheryl Crow song. That is the song at the end of Aaron Brock. There you go. The movie. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I do have that. I do have that. If I remember correctly, Young Frankenstein the movie had a musical bit in it, didn't it? When they're oh, a little sweet what, mystery did, of did, life. Didn't you have to, as the monster, do a little soft shoe or something? Putting like on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz. That's oh, sweet mystery of life was not in the musical, but it was in the original film. Uh, putting on the Ritz. It's wildly elongated in the musical much longer and I'm you know trying to fake tap dance and yeah. his heels and stuff <laughs> okay so my friend I have a friend that is very good friends with a ridiculously famous dancer and brings this ridiculous fam- ridiculously famous dancer to the show and I am a monster fake tapping in front of Cynthia Rhodes from Dirty Dancing <laughs> who is uh yeah, just, I mean, literally Cynthia Rhodes inspired, she played Penny, 
the pregnant dancer, uh-huh. sort of the, the uh-huh. and what a gift. She was in Flashdance. She was the dancer of the 80s, and I worshipped her in the 80s. And here I am. I'm up there, and I'm performing in this, you know, this ridiculous <laughs> outfit, and I'm trying to dance in these shoes. And Cynthia Rhodes from Dirty Dancing is watching me clawed my way through a number. And you were aware of that. Oh, I was very aware of that, yeah, because my friend brought her to see me, and it was crazy. Did it make you dance better? Oh, yes, it did. (laughs) I was so aware of the fact that she was there, but I was also very aware of the fact that she is one of the best people I've met as well. Hmm. She's a good, kind person who wants success for everyone. So there was not a single part of me that didn't know, because I had met her beforehand. I'd actually met her in person, and so I had my little freak out before the show. And so when I got up there, I knew that she was my cheerleader, and I knew she was in my side. So her her spirit, if you will, came through me. And, huh. and yeah, she was. it was pretty great. But, oh, I was very aware. <laughs> um, tell us about uh, the Immokalee Foundation and the work uh, you do there and how you wound up there and, and you know, what, what's the story there? Immokalee is a primarily agricultural Farm worker town, 35 miles outside of Naples, Florida. Half of the children live at or below the poverty level. My world as a communicator in marketing and advertising has always been retail and publishing, primarily consumer products and services. Three years ago, I had an opportunity to come in and start working with the Immokalee Foundation. Life changing. I had never done nonprofit. Mm. And to see what these children, this organization is 100% focused on education, professional development, and career readiness for these young people from Immokalee who, without this opportunity, don't have much of an opportunity at all to pursue a post-secondary career with or without a degree. Their parents are some of the most hardworking people I've ever known. The work ethic is ridiculous. Ask any of these kids who their hero is. It's always their mom and dad. Would I have said that in high school? No, I would not have said that in high school. It's always their mom and dad because of what their mother or father sacrificed for them. The close-knit nature of these families, largely Hispanic, blows me away. Blows me away. The the focus on courtesy, the yes ma'am, the yes sir, blows me away. Uh, The respect in that culture blows me away. And, And... I had never worked nonprofit to this degree, and because of this, I can honestly say that everything I do in my professional life actually helps someone else. That's a gift. But you want to talk – a lot of the stuff that I've learned is just perspective. And and I've never heard one of these kids complain. Mm. Never heard one complain. Are you helping them tell their story? Is that kind of the I'm working, gist of what I work you're doing? On their, yeah, I support their marketing and communications. Gotcha. So it's working with them to try to help them and, and make sure the media is aware of the various stories, really with an emphasis not on, you know, I was talking about this this morning. I, we don't really have an emphasis on what we can't do, so it's not a pity party, even though if you went there, it's, it's, a challenge, it, it's economically quite challenged. We focus on what we can do, not what we can't. Because ultimately, that's what these kids are being taught by the Immokalee Foundation. 30 years old, 31 years old, they're being taught about what they can do and how to overcome challenges and limitations. And, oh, what some of them have been able to do in 30 years. It's crazy and and life-changing. And if I have any teeny tiny little part in that, just like if somebody listens to my podcast and and something goes off and they they pursue a new path or do something new that makes them feel better, you know, I do healthcare writing. And if I get somebody to seek a doctor's appointment for something that they may not have 
checked out, mm-hmm. I probably saved somebody's life and I'll never know because thank God I saved the life. Mm. You know, so it's yeah, – the nonprofit world is has been – such a blessing. The Immokalee Foundation is such a blessing. And I love that town and I love those kids and I love that family, those families. Love them. Are you going to branch out into any other nonprofit ventures? I've spent most of my life working in nonprofits or bars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 here's the thing. I'm 60 this year. I don't – my dad at 66 called me and said, uh, this retirement thing's not going to work for you. And I know that. I'm – too motivated to create. I'm too motivated to – I'm not sure achieve is the thing anymore. Create and add value and it feels so good to do this. I am – absolutely, will I continue to support the Immokalee Foundation for the rest of my life no matter what I'm doing? Absolutely. Do other nonprofits have my heart? Oh, yes, they do. And all of the people who work for them and volunteer and support for these various nonprofits – I tell you, Leanne Tui from The Blind Side, the mom from The Blind Side, mm-hmm. the real mom, did my show, my podcast. I'm going to paraphrase her, but she said something that was life-changing. She said, because she lives the most philanthropic life I've ever seen. She's so aware. She pays attention to what people are doing. What do you need? What are you doing? She walks in places, and she tries to find out how things are working and what's needed. She said there's a big difference between giving, donating a coat to a coat drive and going up on the street and giving a coat to someone who is cold and needs it. And I was like, oh, my mm-hmm. And I would like to think through my work with the Immokalee Foundation, I'm giving the coat a little bit more directly to the person who needs it. Hmm. So, Leanne, life changer. I mean, this is my world. This is the people I talk to. It's crazy. What was the line? I pulled it out. From the from your uh, website, something about Forrest Gump, <laughs> Bob Orr from Randall. Oh my goodness, Randall Kenneth here. Jones lives a life in a way lives. Randall Kenneth Jones lives life in a way that makes Forrest Gump, Gump look, look like, like a, a recluse. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Orr, retired correspondent from CBS News, neighbor of mine, an extraordinary man, and in his own right, very much an influencer on what I do. Been very helpful to me. Hmm. Yeah. That is, you know, my life is not quite as exciting. A lot of it's spent at a computer. But, I mean, the access, the ideas, the thought, and, and it's just great. Hmm. Time for thoughts. Time for song number three. Thong number three. Thong number three. Thong number, Thong number, three. number C. Song number three. Uh, Barry. Little Barry. Yeah, little Barry. I'm trying to think, do we want to listen first or do we want to? I think I tell the story first. Okay. Okay. Oh, and it's interesting because it's going to look like we set this up and we really didn't because so many of the pieces of the story have actually led in this direction. One of the things is this is the second song. This is how I would, if given the opportunity to sing at a keynote, I would sing the song at the end. I would sing the song at the end because of the lyrics and what it means. Um, The song is I Made It Through the Ring by Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman. And forgive me, but I believe there was a third collaborator. So forgive me, collaborator number three. But I have had a joke for a very long time. When I was in college singing with Cheryl Crow, we did a European choir tour. I was just a freshman. Cheryl was just a freshman. And so it's not like we were 
viewed all that imp- you know, all you know, we were. She was there to play the piano. I was there to half the time move the mics and the other half sing. So, but one particular concert, they gave me an opportunity to actually sing a solo in Bulgaria, in a beautiful theater in Bulgaria in 1981. And my solo that I chose was "I Made It Through the Rain" by Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman and, and Person 3, if Person 3 exists. And I have for so many years said, I am the only person I know who has sung a Barry Manilow song in Bulgaria accompanied by Cheryl Crow on <laughs> piano. <laughs> now, a gentleman named Rob Shooter is Bruce Sussman's husband. Rob has done, oh, I love Rob. And Rob has done my show and I told him this story and and I got the feedback to the best of their knowledge. I am now making a true statement. Evidently, Bruce and I believe Barry have chimed in. As far as they know, I am the only person to cover Barry Manilow in Bulgaria, accompanied by Sherman. <laughs> so I've made that joke forever, and I, I've had it validated. So, yeah, I mean, it takes me right there. It takes me absolutely right there, 1981, on stage in in Bulgaria. Were you a Barry fan? Was it was, well, this, I mean, was this a song that was resonating with you at the time? We were, it had just come out. So we were required to be I mean to certain certainly I was a Barry fan. For one thing You were required to be a Barry yeah, fan. Yeah, well I mean for one thing you could understand the lyrics. You know that was my big thing. Uh-huh. You and certainly was, can yeah, Barry you can understand good at that. the lyrics. And vocally I'm a tenor. Barry's a tenor. So he is going to really deliver songs that are really in my sweet spot. So yeah, that's 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 my guy. Well, let's listen to it. Uh, Bulgaria. Bulgaria. We're in Bulgaria. 1981. Palace, beautiful palace. Beautiful, like probably 500 people there. And I'm on stage. Cheryl is in the back. She's way in the back. You can hardly see her. So far in the back because it's not about Cheryl Crow this time. It's about me. <laughs> and I'm singing this song. I can't wait to listen to it because, you know, part of my musical background of my childhood was Barry Manilow. Oh, so well, I haven't heard this forever, but I know yeah. I'll know every word oh, because yeah. it's right there. We'll be lip syncing. Um, we'll be lip syncing. This is I Made It Through the Rain off Barry Manilow's 1980 album, Barry. It's Randall Kenneth Jones' third and final song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. I made it through. So when you sing it at the, uh, well, when you sing it, right. is, is it accompanied with music or is it Yeah, I have a track. It's a track. Okay, oh, so you're no, not no, just no. totally yeah, on your yeah, own. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I have a track, yeah. But once again, I have not, since coming back and going back out with COVID, it's not a daytime thing. It's really more of an evening dinner thing. And I just haven't had that venue yet. Right. So this is kind of a new idea that I'm ready to do and excited to do. Because I've seen a lot of speakers bring their guitar, but I haven't seen anybody wail a Manilow tune or or a show tune before. And I want to be different, and I am different. So, <laughs> have you seen Barry live? I have not. That needs to change. Now I have connections. So he was here not too oh, long I know, ago, I know, right? I know, but I didn't. I just met Rob. I just met Rob, so I didn't have that connection. So. Now that I have that connection, let's oh, Barry, see me, Barry, please. When was the last time you listened to that song? Oh, probably, well, preparing for this. But prior to that? Well, probably because I rehearse it. Oh, because you yeah, were preparing yeah. for that, yeah. Yeah, because I've been rehearsing both of those songs in the event that I get the venue that's appropriate to do it. But yeah, yeah, I've been rehearsing it. So, But it had been a while. You sang a little bit, even though you say you're on the light, late stage oh, bronchitis. No, I'm on that. Yeah, I'm on the. I'm a croaker man. I'm only so. 
Yeah, I sang a little bit, but it's still, that's how come the Benatar song sounded so bad. <laughs> my version, my version of the Benatar song sounded so bad, but. Um, okay, we're going to speed round you. Oh, God. Um, favorite stage play or musical? Brigadoon. Hmm. I've done it four times. Wow. And I was, I've directed it most recently, and I was Tommy. And it's probably, I mean, a lot. Falsettos is a big deal with me as well. Um, uh, I saw the uh, reunion concert, I think, in 2003. Michael Rupert, who created the original role of Marvin, has also done my show. And I've known him. He's my Broadway idol. And I was lucky enough to meet him and get invited to this. So I, I just lied and I gave you two. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You wove a spell right over me. Um, what about movie musicals? Are there any movie musicals that have a special place in your heart? I'm less critical of all these attempts to do movie musicals because I love musicals. And I think anytime we put, you know, with the possible exception, I know Peter Pan people, you tried. I know you tried, but oh, I mean, that was <laughs> that was more than I could even take. Um, but I applaud anytime there's any attempt to get the art form to a larger audience. Um, I, I love Chicago, but I'm a huge Gwen Verdon fan, even though from the original. Um, I really like Hairspray. I like you know what I really really loved Grease Live on oh, Fox. I didn't see it. I just thought that they just killed Grease Live. I've directed Grease. I've been Teen Angel in another production of Grease. <laughs> uh, yeah, Grease Live. I actually, if I had to pick a favorite, believe it or not, it'd be Grease Live. I just was amazed the fact they do it live. It was so well cast. It was so well presented. And they were truthful to the original stage show while at the same time taking in some of the best of the movie, which uh, it's, the Grease movie is in many ways very different from the stage show, which I happen to have a soft spot for. So, no, yeah, I think well, we'll go with Grease. We'll go with Grease Live. Um, do you have a nickname that has stuck over the course of your life? And it might be Randy. And you might. No, you know what you it don't? Is? My nickname is actually. Well, my sisters call me Arm. 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 Like A-R-M? A-R-M. When flip phones, when you would have to put in and thing, they would, would, would try to do brother. Brother would, would they try to write brother, I think it was, and it would default to arm. <laughs> so they'd try to write the word brother or Randy or something, but it would default and they would arm. So they stopped trying to text about me as being Randy or brother, whichever one it was, and they just call me arm. Okay. No, the other one, Randall is actually a bit of a nickname. Because I don't go by that. I go by Randall Kenneth Jones. When your last name is Jones and you want to be Googleable, you got a problem. Understood. So when I first really started to pursue a public profile, I had to be Googleable. And Randall Kenneth Jones as a Google is, you know, not only is it my, my website.com, but it's Googleable. And I had a problem, too, because Jones is so common. There's a whole lot of Randy Joneses, most notably <laughs> – Randy Jones is the original cowboy in The Village People. <laughs> and we have met online, know each other, have known each other for years because 
we have the same birthday. You're both Randy Joneses, and you both have the same we like have same, same birthday, birthday, birth year, too. Yeah. No, no. Okay. He is, he is, Randy is ten years older than me. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that's just been. I've I've known forever. I had the same name. But when I actually friended him on Facebook and I begged for him to accept it, this is like 12 years ago or whatever, I said, we have mutual friends and I've had so much fun having your name. And then I, he accepted it and I found his bio, which I'd never seen. I went, this just got weird. We have the same birthday. And so we, I, we, we tend to wish each other happy birthday on our birthday every year. Never met him. But yeah, that's a, that's fun. That's a fun one. And so Randall then is all about um, public profile performance. Right. Yes, it is all the public thing. And Kenneth is my dad's, you know, first name, and my dad's my hero. So it's really cool professionally to be able to bring my my middle name, which is my father's first name, forward because he's perfect. Hmm. He's ninety one years of perfection. Huh. Yeah. Do you have any TV theme songs that you know the lyrics to that you would sing with us? Oh, now you. T- I told you that I can't sing right now, and then you're. Um, Here's the story <laughs> of a lovely lady. I don't know. I don't know how we do I don't want to say. <laughs> Who was bringing up three very, very lovely, lovely girls. girls. All, All of them, them had hair of gold, gold like their, their mother, mother, the, the youngest, youngest one in curls. curls. I think that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> no, the curls were yellow this time. Curls. Wow. <laughs> I'm impressed. I wasn't going to let him squeak by. He was trying to squeak no, by. I, no, I, no, I saw I it and you. I pulled on. Yeah, well, it was either that or we were going to do it. Sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. Doot, so. doot. <laughs> um, if you were a championship wrestler, what song would you enter the arena to? Hit me with your best shot. Oh, yeah. What would your wrestler name be? Wrestling Randy. I don't know. <laughs> we'll go with Wrestling Randy. I've j- I, that's yeah. That's sort of out of my. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with Wrestling Randy. Wrestling Randy. If you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind that was a distilled Randy Jones, what would it be? I don't drink. Um, oh, it could be non-alcoholic. Oh, it would be. Am I may uh, the Wretched Bunny? The Wretched Bunny, which the, is comprised of what? The Wretched Bunny has. Um, I'm going to steal from Laverne. I'm going to have it milk and Diet Coke. Ooh. Rather than milk and Pepsi from Laverne. Cindy Williams from Laverne Ooh. and Shirley did my podcast this year. So wow. I've got Laverne and Shirley. And actually, I did the producers on stage. I played Roger Debris and the producers, another Mel Brooks show, and Eddie Mecca Carmine. From uh-huh, uh-huh. Laverne and Shirley was in that audience to see me. <laughs> Forest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, that was pretty wild. Standing backstage, going, Carmine is going to see me sing and dance, and this is crazy. So, wow. So we'll go with milk and diet coke, and we'll call it the what I call it the wretched bunny, the wretched because bunny. I am in fact deathly afraid of bunnies, and that's another whole story. Hmm. I have a rabbit. Oh, well, then I can't come over. I really, really. His name is Flopper McFlopface. Flopper McFlopface. Okay, that's not what I thought you said, but. (laughs) Flopper McFlopface. Yeah, no, I was, I was, when I was doing singing telegrams, they had an office pet, Benson the Bunny. And I, as I said, I was naked at work and attacked by a bunny. Huh. And I was in, and that bunny ripped my foot open. And I, to this day, am very anti-bunny. 
because I was attacked by a pet French lop. Have you seen the uh, Holy Grail, Monty Python? Oh, that must it, really resonate with really you. It really does resonate, and everybody <laughs> mentions it. Easter is awful for me because I am inundated on Facebook with every single evil bunny, 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 bunny mountain, bunny island, bunny this, bunny that. And, of course, you know, where I live, there's bunnies everywhere, uh-huh. and they're awful. They're horrible little creatures that make fun of my dog because they know he's on a leash. And, oh, bunnies. And then I have bunnies on my first book. I actually have bunnies. And people are like, how did you you do that? I said, Xanax. (laughs) So I have bunnies on the cover with me. So, yeah, I'm not a bunny fan. Song you wish you could hear again for the first time. Oh. Born to Fly by Sarah Evans. Hmm. Probably my favorite song of all time. Hmm. Because I relate. She's, she was from a small town outside. Uh, her mother married my father's first cousin, so we were in the same family, but we're not directly related. Uh, and we didn't, frankly, know each other growing up because she was younger than me. But Born to Fly just really resonates with my story insofar as you can be you're, – you're, you're only limited by what's in your mind. You were born to do more, and that happened to me. And And – since I loved the song so much, to hear it again for the first time would be cool. I've never even, wow, never thought about that. If you had the ability to broadcast a song into the head of every human at once, which song would you choose? You were just vicious. Um, we Belong by Pat Benatar. That's a good choice. It's interesting because I used to, even as she says this is predictable, my favorite song was Love is a Battlefield. Because of I love that video and I can do all the dance moves and everything. But I said, I think I morphed from the Love is a Battlefield, um, Shadows of the Night fan into the We Belong fan. And now the song We Belong by Pat Benatar really means a lot to me. There's a lesser known song that she has called Shine that is available on spot. And it's kind of my anthem right now. Hmm. It's, it's my unofficial theme song for Ruby, my book. She doesn't know it's my theme. <laughs> in my head. It's my theme song, but she has a song named uh, called "Shine" that it means a lot to me as well. Um, are there any albums that you really prefer to consume in their entirety? You know, not just I want to play a song track two and then track six and then move on to the next one, but I want to just sit down and listen to it. The original Broadway cast of Evita. I like that. My favorite album. Is What's New by Rinda, Linda, Rinda, What's New by Linda Ronstadt and the Nelson Riddle Orchestra. Huh. And she did that, a series of three albums in the 80s that were all standards, vocal standards. And Nelson Riddle, who was a very famous conductor back in the time, did it with her. I saw her do this uh, in the live concert of this. And it's just – it's a concert. It, it's just it's, – it's my favorite – probably my favorite album of all time. Um, are there any songs that you'll avoid listening to because of memory association reasons? <laughs> I'm still standing by Elton John. I worked in a radio station in college, and I did overnights. I did weekend overnights. So we both know I was alone. And it was completely automated. And the automation wasn't teeny. It was a wall of number, 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 do this, change real, change real, change, do all this kind of stuff. And they actually put me live on the air before they really trained me on the equipment. Did not go well. 
I was in tears that night. And it seems like every time something went wrong, and I don't like things to go wrong, every time something went wrong at 98 KFMZ, rock in the Midwest, every time something went wrong, it was Damn, I'm Still Standing by Elton John was the song that it happened to or was the next up song. I got to the point where if I saw it was slated to come on because I would go past it because I could not listen to I'm Still Standing because I'm Still Standing almost killed me. I mean, it was like, to this day, that's one, yeah, that's not a fave. Sorry, Elton. Love you. You've got PTSD from I'm Still Standing. I do. I do. (laughs) I do. Um, What would your 14-year-old self think of who you are here with us today? No, I think I work with a woman named Amelia Antonetti, and I will, if people want to check her out, A-M-I-L-Y-A. Amelia.com, spelled differently, A-M-I-L-Y-A. We do a show on Clubhouse together. She's a human behaviorist. And she had developed something called Genius Key, and it was a – wasn't Myers. It was, I think, Myers-Briggs on steroids. It was so much more, but it was really what is your genius? So this is a very big answer. But all the questions that went into defining this, so much were questions about you as a child. So I went through that process, and I was asked what I thought, what I did, and I was, and I realized, oh wow, little Randy is a whole lot like Big Randy, and I. She forced me to go there and to realize that fundamentally, who I was is the same person, which was kind of cool to discover. Uh, um. I think little Randy, fourteen-year-old Randy, would be bummed that I didn't win a Tony Award yet. But I think 14-year-old Randy would be would be absolutely amazed that I text Pat Benatar. <laughs> that the texting exists and Pat Benatar takes my phone call and responds to my texts. So no, I I think I think my career makes sense. I, I really do think it it does. And I think 14-year-old me, like I said, would in some ways probably think I underachieved because there was that dream of stardom. But uh, I interviewed Shirley Jones from the Partridge family, and I told her, I said, y'all started changing Chris's on the Partridge family. All of a sudden, we had blonde Chris or brunette Chris, and then we had blonde Chris, and I thought, if they're changing Chris's, I want to get on that list. I want to be – and I was the right age. So, But, of course, didn't have the right contacts, but – I thought if they're going to change Chris Partridge every single year, put me up there. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. So, huh. Well, it's nice to know that you managed to keep that 14-year-old spirit all the way through. But I think that's a huge part of it. And I, that's, that's a huge part of, frankly, Ruby. I resonate with that. My myself. book is largely based on, on keeping the child inside, that part that's responsible for creativity and inspiration and, and joy. And when the child inside goes away and curiosity goes away, Way. Frankly, uh, a lot of people, I don't care how much money you have, your purpose. Once you lose your purpose, you lose your sense of importance, your relevance, your value. That's what I discover getting older and, frankly, living, as you know, we do around a lot of older people. That's what they want the most, more than anything, is relevance and value. And, and that, chi- that child inside is so key to that. And that's a huge part of what my book is about. Mm. I think in a really sweet, fun, funny way. So, All right. It's time for you to recommend you three people. Oh, OK. OK. So, OK. I always – I call it Bob Orr. Bob Orr. Bob Orr. Actually, it's funny that you would know we didn't plan this. Bob Orr, retired uh, journalist from CBS News, covered over a 20-year-ish span every horrible thing that happened, aviation – 
uh, uh, the national security, really through CBS News National was covering just some of the worst events in our history, the time that he worked there. And it's just brilliant and so interesting. And to find his musical, I would love to hear what he has to we say. We would love this. to have him. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so do your best for us. He was good. Linda Spellman, who is my friend who wrote a book recently just that just came out uh, called um, Trauma Inspired, Trauma Hyphen Inspired, Trauma Survivor. As I'd said, I'm thrilled. Got I got her in front of Miss Pat last night. They, she met Pat Benatar last night to tell Pat what the song Hell is for Children meant to her mm-hmm. in person. And Linda is, in fact, a trauma s- survivor, wrote this book talking to 50 other trauma survivors. But you know her hook? You know her twist? She's a psychic medium. Huh. And fascinating fascinating what she has and she doesn't ask you to believe in anything she just wants you to be she's just hoping to heal she's not asking people to believe in anything but Linda Spellman is fascinating is she local uh, she is not she is in North Carolina okay well you can make that work I know okay I've been thinking about that my third one Susan Bennett the original voice of Siri <laughs> wow my podcast Jones. Show. my announcer is Susan Bennett the original voice of Siri from 2011 to 2013, but she's still the one everybody hears. She's still the classic voice. She's the first, you know, automated attendant that everybody's voice they know it. And she has been a very dear friend of mine. She was somebody I interviewed that was in my book, and now we work together. And she is the announcer for Jones, my we, Jones Touch Show podcast. We would love to have her. And you know, I've never owned an Apple product, so it'll be less weird for me than most people. <laughs> but you'll know the voice. Oh, it, I'm sure I'll recognize it, but I will never have talked to it. And she goes into <laughs> it. She'll actually all of a sudden just sort of slide into the Siri voice, and you always scream and freak because. And that voice is actually still out there because she's a a very successful voiceover voice right. actor anyway. And, you know, I test drove a car and Susan was talking to me in the car and I was in a I was getting at a photo shoot with her, with her (laughs) and the on hold narration of the the receptionist on hold was Susan's voice while we were at there. That must be a trip for her. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be. It's wild. But I I would love because Susan's asked over and over and over again, Siri, 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 how did you become Siri? I mean, at this point, I can tell you how she became Siri. I know the whole story. I would love Susan's a musician. She's a singer. I'd love Music to be a, means everything. It to would her. be great to be able to get her to get to know her through this. Absolutely, yeah. for people to know my very, very, very dear friend and ask her something about. So, what did it feel like when you found out you were Siri? I mean, and, and yeah. find out more about who she is. I that's a huge part of my what I'm advocating for is I had Allie Landry, former Miss USA, the Doritos. She was famous for a 1998 Doritos commercial uh, for Super Bowl ad, one of the most famous ads. Has done a whole lot on TV as an actress and a spokesperson and stuff. But we were talking about that this week. That's just part of who she is. You know, we've got to stop looking at the snapshot of the people. And, and there's more than a snapshot of the woman who supplied the voice that, she, frankly, she didn't know she was Siri. Huh. It came out she didn't know. That supplied the voice. She's a robust human being that's very much alive and does not live in your phone. Yeah. Who is brilliant and interesting and, and talented and thoughtful and wise. And, and I want people to meet that. Well, Susan. I hope I get to meet her. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you've done it. You've done did it. Do wow, you know there are some. There, my little head. You feel okay? A bit. You yeah. feel okay here? I'm a little dizzy. <laughs> that was hard. You're. You're. I don't ask people mean stuff like that. That whole I had forgotten somehow. Having listened to the show before, I guess the speed rounds. I don't know why it caught me by surprise because you always do it, but I guess I hadn't thought about it. Well, thank, you. Thought. well thank you for doing it. You got oh. any final thoughts? Thank you for doing it. Did yeah. you hear you say thank yeah. you for doing it? I, I've talked enough. I've talked plenty. Well, thanks for talking. I will say randallkennethjones.com. I do invite people to come to the website, learn about uh, the podcast, learn about the books. I'm very proud of the content because my world exists to try to make the world a better place. And that sounds ridiculous, but that's a pretty sweet way to live. Yeah. And uh, I refused to not be that person. I must be that person. I will not let the negativity take over. I And it's hard. But I'm going to stay on this path, and I'm really excited to share what I've learned from 300 people at this point in time. Well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. I love being able to do this because I do. We get to know each oh, other yeah, 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 in a yeah, different yeah. kind of way. Well, we're so. like in the studio together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so. a lot of my stuff I'm doing nationally and internationally and stuff, and I never see them unless it's on Zoom. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and host. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. If you'd like to hear a slightly shorter version of this conversation, but one that contains longer versions of his songs, go to wgcu.org and click the Listen tab at the top of the page. For this week's Parting Tune, we're leaping back one year to episode 173, Guests, Michael and Jordan Von Cannon. Michael is co-creator and producer of the Ernest Hemingway-related show One True Podcast and an instructor in the Department of Language and Literature at Florida Gulf Coast University. Dr. Jordan Von Cannon is an assistant professor in the Department of Language and Literature here at FGCU. Their third song, which they had to decide on together, was Irma Thomas's cover of Van Morrison's Crazy Love. It transports them back to a trip they took to New Orleans during grad school to see one of her favorite bands called We Are Augustines. They got to the House of Blues, stood in a really long line, which they kind of felt was weird because they're not really a very popular band. Then they got in and there were chairs set out and there was a bachelorette party in the front row. Then a magician performed and then a series of burlesque performances performers came out, including one that actually ice skated on stage, and again, increasingly weird. I'll let them pick it up from there. So we cut a magic show, burlesque, half of a concert, and then we leave. On the way out, we caught one of the parades leading up to Mardi Gras. So during carnival season, there are numerous uh, parades, obviously, leading up to the big one. We hadn't been able to see any of them in New Orleans uh, so leading up to... And the sunglasses and all of this stuff that they tossed out on our way back to the car. Yeah, the so, so I think the reason that we picked kind of this event is it's one of those kind of magical uh, moments that you get, um, certainly in big cities, but for us it was New Orleans where a lot of... Yeah. It's kind of a constellation of events that take place that you would have never been able to, to really put together for us. It was a concert and a dinner, but it was a lot more than that. Yeah, it was like a classic New Orleans night that I feel like when you spend time in the city or 
like our oldest son having been born in Louisiana, and we lived there for about seven years. There's just something about the, the people and the place and the music that kind of just changes your DNA a bit. Like it, it changes your your taste for food. It changes like your affinity. You know, the Zydeco band. Like it just really infiltrates it, and so. This song by Irma Thomas is probably the one that just, I feel like, is the kind of sentiment for our life there. And Yeah, and it's obviously a it's a cover of uh, Van Morrison, right? It's a cover of a Van Morrison song. And I think, Richard, to go back to one of the points you were making a while ago, I don't think she changes the pronouns either. So I oh, think yeah. there's a way in which, you know, there's a female. What's that word? Heterodiagetic. Yeah. yeah. This is three heterodiagetic stories. It's, I know. Yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking of this theme. But, so there's a really fun way in which she's playing with that yeah. um, idea in this song, too. And she's a she's a Louisiana native that just, I mean. The queen of New Orleans. The queen of New Orleans. And this song, is it's better than Van Morrison. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. I don't ever remember fishing with another conductor.